0: Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. This is another episode of my weekly podcast. Today, I have the beautiful Dominique Echeverria, who is a healer and an artist. She has an amazing story that is so inspiring. And that's why I wanted to bring her on today. Hi, Dominique. Hi, hi, how are you? Good, so happy to have you here. I want to ask you, about the time you decided to throw yourself in front of the train. Why Mm -hmm. did you choose to do that? It's
1: funny, it's like, I've had so many years to think about this question, and I think that the best answer that I've ever heard um, to simplify suicidal ideology or suicidal tendencies is something that I learned from a trans elder um, who was talking about, you know, how she was sharing how throughout her life there had been moments where she you know had reached her limit of suffering and those are the moments in which she wanted to end her life and I had you know when I decided to throw myself in front of a train you know it was because I had reached my limit of suffering I had reached my physical limit of suffering of being thrown around the medical system I was, I had reached my emotional suffering being thrown around the psychiatric and therapeutic systems. You know, I had reached my spiritual suffering with like my environment and the way that, you know, the oppressive systems in my country. And so I had just reached my limit in every way. Months before my accident, I had gone to a psychiatrist to, for, uh, to, you know, to go to therapy for trauma, to heal trauma. And almost immediately he recommended medication. Hey, do you wanna try out some medication? And you know, he was like, I don't really see patients unless they're on medication. It's a weird rule in our country that a lot of psychiatrists and therapists and a lot of group therapy groups won't allow patients to be seen unless they're on medication. And it's really crazy because it's like, wouldn't you think that, you know, you would want to take time to get to know the person and how their systems work and stuff and how their, how their physical systems work, not just how their emotional systems work, but all of it, wouldn't you want to like do some, uh, some fact checking and some history research with their primary care doctors or something? I, unfortunately, was part of that one, you know, that very small percentage of people when put on psych meds, I had a negative reaction. And so instead of me when I would have a bad day to be able to bounce back and like use kind of like my own spirit to bring myself back, this medication kept me stuck in this very strange state of mind. It made me have insomnia, had lack of appetite. It killed my sex drive. It made me very antisocial and not want to be around everyone. It made me feel like uh, my heart would skip weird, like my uh, irregular heartbeat. And it made me feel like I was going crazy. And when I went to the psychiatrist, he was like, oh, well, your body's maybe in this weird, maybe in this weird in-between phase of acclimating. Let's up your dose. And so they upped my dose, and about a month later, I just my mind couldn't handle it, and I threw myself in front of a subway train.
0: And did you before getting the medication, were you offered just to see a therapist um, without ha- taking any medication?
1: No, the At DBT all. ther no the DBT therapist that I was going to she did not allow patients, not only one-on-one patients, but also in her DBT therapy group, which teaches like cognitive therapy skills. Um, I wasn't like, it was a rule that I, I had to sign a contract that I wasn't allowed in unless I was also seeing a psychiatrist and being put on medication. Everyone in the group had to be on medication and everyone was in there for different things. And it's like, it's very, very, very weird. And there's so many doctors that are like this here. And there's a lot of psychiatric facilities here. There's a lot of therapy facilities here that are like that. In India, you know, people practice Ayurvedic medicine, right? That's where it started. And and the basic teaching of Ayurvedic medicine is that everyone's body is different and unique. So how could you, how could you treat everyone the same? Like, you know what I mean? And I understand that it's like, People say, oh, well, it's cost efficient in time, but it takes way more time and problems and costs to have all these sick people, but they can't make any money in this country oh, yeah, if they're yeah. doing that. I'm a healer, right? And I work with all kinds of people and I'm a healer in my community. And I have um, a friend of mine's mother and who has some younger children and he is kind of a hyperactive kid and they basically had to talk with the mom like if you don't put your child on Ritalin then they can't continue the school year. And they don't understand how like in like middle school and high school and stuff when they're putting these kids on all this medication like their adrenal hormones are still like growing and regulating and forming and their neurotransmitters are still growing and forming and it's just from children to adults to my grandmother, you know, who's not, who has diabetes and they have her inject insulin in her body every day instead of like putting her on like a wellness plan. It's crazy.
0: I also had an experience here in Ireland and I have to say the medical system is much better in Ireland than it is in the United States. But one of the things that struck me when I was sick, the way doctors treat you because I feel that what we are looking for when we want to be treated is mostly to be heard and to feel like the other person cares about us. While what I noticed going from one doctor to another, from one hospital to another, is when they talk to you, they're not even looking at you. They might look at you for one session and then they think that you're crazy and it's too much for them when you keep saying, oh, but this still hurts me. And instead of actually giving you the uh, attention or the feeling that the doctor is meant to give you, which is a feeling of safety and maybe a little bit hope, instead of doing that, they make you feel guilty for being there. And they also turn their head and they're typing on the computer, what are you typing? (laughs) Like, How is that going to help me? Um, If we want to heal someone, number one thing that we need to do is to listen to them do you agree with me on
1: that yeah Yeah. yes you know there's many you know indigenous elders like they teach us as healers that you know don't go in there like approaching someone with an ego because like we want people to know that like they have every all the answers within them Mm -hmm. and like to believe people and to listen to people and to help teach people that like they actually have total ability to heal themselves and us as healers or you know their medical providers or doctors are there to help assist their wellness plan this amazing book that just came out it's called uncaring uncaring. And it's about how both nurse, it's both about how patients and nurses and doctors suffer in the medical industry, because there is such lack of compassion. I work on a lot of people that are in the, you know, other parts of wellness. And, you know, it's crazy the way that they work are nurses to the bone like workhorses and then it's like no wonder they don't care because like their humanity is being stripped so like they're in survival mode and they're having to be emotionally detached and they're trained to be emotionally detached and they're treated in a very dehumanizing way. And so that trickles down to how they're treating the patients and the families. It's just this vicious, vicious, vicious cycle. And so that's why I love, I love the foundation Slow Factory. Slow Factory, it, uh, the, the family is here in New York, but the woman who started it, Celine Saman, she uh, was born in Lebanon. And it's a worldwide organization that helps fight for human rights and sustainability and um, it helps to fight systematic oppression and she talks about like how you know we have to when we're looking at the medical world we have to look at the whole system because the workers are suffering too I feel like people are so scattered right I'm so glad that everyone's waking up and wanting to fight and use their voice but like I hope that in these next few months people will collectively come together and like start targeting like the oppressor and like our, you know, and the systems that are in place that are keeping us all sick.
0: I know that you threw yourself in front of the train and you say that you reached your limit in every way. I know obviously you want it out of here, but did you just want peace? Did you want change? Did you want all of it? What what was the one thing that pushed you to eventually do that?
1: I wanted to die. I wanted to die. I wanted my life to end so that people could stop having access to me,
0: because I feel mean?
1: like like um, I was someone that was always having to solve every pro- everyone's problems and help everyone. I thought I always say this I thought because I don't want to say there wasn't because there was I just didn't see Mm. I thought that there was no one around me to help me and so here I was feeling drained 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 and I kept feeling like I was like the oppression of the systems in this country were chipping away at my spirit and my soul so much like it was like, why the fuck am I even here? I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good person. Like, why am I suffering? If I'm only staying alive for all of y'all to just keep taking from me and no one's giving me any answers or holding space for me, then fuck it. I have that crazy blood in me, that fire in me that's like, I'm gonna fucking do it. I just have that, but I just have that's just my personality is, like, when I want to fucking do something, I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to just do it in some pussy bitch way, I'm going to do it all the way, and, like, you know, I really wanted, really wanted to start over, I wanted to start over, and I think that's important, I didn't want it to just end, like, I didn't want to just die and not be able to access my spirit, because, like, I I, when I'm by myself I love myself I have a good time I love I'm creative I come with all these great ideas I'm a good cook I take care of myself so well I create such a nice home environment wherever I go you know so it's like it wasn't it wasn't that I wanted to to end my experience as as me I just wanted all the pain to stop and so I was like maybe if I die then all my spirit will be somewhere in the universe and I can come alive again and my spirit will come back to me. And I think that if I would have been like, no, I want to die. Like I want to end it all. Maybe the universe would have fully taken my life. But I was like, no, I do want to come back as me. I just want to, I just don't want to be suffering. And so when I woke up on the train tracks and was taken to the hospital and lived, I had a choice. I had a choice to like keep doing the same shit, right? Or to listen to my intuition and my spirit over everything and everyone. I had to go against doctors, I had to go against lawyers, I had to go against family members, I had to go against uh, security guards, I had to go against one of the biggest institutions in the United States, and I had to convince everyone around me that I was not crazy, that I was actually suffering and being abused by systematic oppression. I would have never been able to do that without my community. Because if I was just one bitch running around saying shit, people would just put me in a pile of all the other crazy people. Right? How many crazy people have have you ever walked by in your lifetime and you just, they're saying shit, they're screaming shit from the top of their lungs and then you just walk by them. Crazy? No one's fucking crazy. This world is fucking crazy. And the way that people act is a symptom of this fucking disease of oppression.
0: You know, one of the things that you said in your previous interview, the one I watched, is that sometimes people look at me and call me a crazy witch. And I am crazy because this world drove me fucking insane. When you said that, I was like, she is my soul sister. She gets exactly how I see this world because it's so hard to live here sometimes. I could totally relate to everything you said because in the past I tried to also end my life and, At the time, I thought I wanted to just die. I just didn't want to be here. But when I got honest with myself, it's not that I didn't want to live. I wanted to live. I just didn't want to live that shit I was living. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you said you reach a limit, But what was the source of your suffering? I was
1: dealing with, you know, I was processing a lot of emotional trauma that I had experienced with certain family members. I was experienced, you know, the partner that I was dating was experiencing, you know, he had just gotten locked up um I was working like crazy all the fucking time sexually assaulted multiple times and it was crazy it was like in San Francisco like I had lived in many cities right and like and I had lived in many dangerous neighborhoods and it wasn't in and I had been to many gritty bars and crazy places and it Is All of the places where the elite, where like kind of rich people who are entitled and get fucked up and wasted and do drugs, like those kinds of people, like those kinds of spaces is where I experienced sexual assault. The nightlife industry, I always worked in um, gay clubs, right? I'm I'm a queer woman and I always felt very safe in those spaces. I think that as a someone who's been, was abused um, at a younger age, that being in gay spaces felt safer than being around straight people, you know? And then also being like um, like a very voluptuous, like mixed race woman, I felt like safer, just like in my own body for multiple reasons in queer spaces. And when the clubs started getting bigger, when we started bringing in more straight crowds uh, and more bottle service and more celebrities and their shitty friends, that's when like the assault started happening to not just me, but to um, multiple colleagues of mine. So who do you think I was assaulted by? You know, do you think that it was like, it, of course it's the it's the fucking wasted, coked out, you know, working professionals that feel like they could do whatever they want. Yeah. The first times I was attacked in New York, I was a live-in nanny, and um, the there was a there was a addict, a rich addict who lived in one of the penthouses in the building. It was in 68th and Second, which is like a very rich, nice place in New York City, Upper East Side. Like started out with him just kind of like asserting himself in the spaces that I was in. And then it went from him like sitting outside uh, across the street on the stoop of the building across the street and smoking cigarettes and staring at my window and me complaining multiple times to the doorman and the security that like this dude is like stares at me through my window and it creeps me out. And he's, you know, oh, well, he owns his apartment. You know, he's, he's fine. You know, he's just, he's got something wrong with him. Just kind of making excuses until one day he broke into the apartment building with a knife going crazy. So my intuition was telling me that this dude is about to fucking snap. And I had told the, the staff multiple times that he was going to attack me. And they did not believe me until, like, he did, right? They had him, like, you know, go back to his mommy's house. His mom was like, oh, I'll take care of him. Sorry, he's on medication. He was a fucking pill-popping alcoholic that just, like, did whatever he wanted, right? And now the family went away for a weekend and he broke into the house again. He tried to rape me. He did not successfully rape me. I was assaulted, but he did not successfully rape me. And it wasn't until then that he was arrested. And after he was arrested, he was allowed to continue living there. So it's so fucked up, like of the way that like older white men like they really are out here thinking they are insane. And their associates that it's okay that that's okay, that that's okay.
0: Earlier, you mentioned uh, feeling safe around gay people. I am straight, and one of my housemates is uh, gay, and she always tries to convince me that I am gay. And I'm telling her, like, I'm not. But she said, but Abir, you're so free. The, why she sees the similarity is because they fought for themselves. Nobody handed them anything. And I think in my personality, I feel the same. I feel like I had to fight for myself to be myself because I come from a culture that didn't allow me to be myself. I can see why would she see the similarity? Because it's mm-hmm. not about the sexuality. It's about the attitude. You just want to be mm-hmm. safe. You just want to feel heard. You don't, just want to mm-hmm. be yourself. And sometimes mm-hmm. only around people who are like that You would
1: feel Mm -hmm. safe. There's the book *Sex at Dawn*, and it talks about like the time in history where like gender roles started to become a thing, and like it wasn't until like colonizers started deciding like who owns land and started keeping tabs, like, okay, you own three sheep and one wife and two daughters and uh, a cow. And it wasn't until people started being like this is my property this is yours that like gender roles and like marriages and like the way that like men started treating women uh changed. Mm-hmm. and then also as far as like the identity and the sexual orientation like that's why there's so many new like people um trip on like the whole uh terms right lesbian, queer, transgender, like gay, blah blah blah, and some old school gay people I know that's like, just call everyone gay, it's easier, but it's like, you know, all these conversations are ways of people figuring out who and what they are, and you know, the term queer is like, used to be super negative, right, like, you're queer, And now we're using it as like kind of like an umbrella term to describe people like you who you don't you're queer in the sense that like you don't identify with the normal gender roles. And that's what I feel like queer is, is like you don't identify with the heteronormative gender roles of relationships. You're like, if I want to shave head as a woman, I can do that, you know, like if I want to you know, like live on my own and not have kids, I can be independent. And there's, you know, there's so many, um, there's so many ways in which gay people have opened up the doors as far as like dialogue to express identity, you know, and that's why, you know, that's why we celebrate pride. That's why we all celebrate pride. That's important that we celebrate pride, just like how it's important to you know uphold the voices of black people because it's like they're the ones that have been creating the dialogue on identity and oppression and systematic restructuring and like you know unfair gender roles and and just like unfair um, oppressive roles in general you know this is why we should continue to you know this to fuel this this wave because it it helps all of us at the end of the day because no one no one is benefiting from oppression you know the the father that works his back to the bone that thinks that he's the head of the household he's oppressing himself maybe if he shared some of the responsibilities he wouldn't feel so resentful and hateful for having to be the breadwinner you know like people don't understand how like you know being more fluid oh, exactly. with
0: gender roles helps everyone absolutely and coming from the muslim society and the arab culture. where The men are expected to be not emotional. They don't express sadness or weakness or anything other than I am the man and I'm strong and I know what I'm doing. And that makes them really hard to deal with. And that affects the women in so many ways where they feel like they can't express themselves, always trying to avoid conflict. And what you mentioned earlier about you know, marriages and how marriages work is so true. Still to this day, they expect the man to get everything because he's the man of the house, which makes him feel exhausted at the end of the day. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And then the women have to run around and be their slaves because, you know, what other... And their therapist. Yeah. It's so sad. We're in 2021 and we still have to deal with, Things like that.
1: And even in America, right? Like American women enslave themselves where they're like, oh, let me stay stuck to this partner because I want to be able to buy Gucci and drive a Mercedes and live in this nice house. So I'm going to enslave myself to this family that I hate and stay stuck in this marriage so that I can
0: like flaunt the good life but like create soul loss. (laughs) I have a friend who works in a um, a clothes shop. Um, he gets the richest people in Ireland to go and buy from that shop, mostly women. And you know, when women meet gay men, they open their heart and then he's like their therapist. And he always tells me about how many women come to that shop and cry to him about their husbands, for being cheaters, for treating them badly, for being disrespectful. And when he asks them, "Why do you stay with someone who treats you like that?" It's because women don't um, don't work on themselves enough to have their own career, and then the men feel that it's okay to do whatever they want to do because the woman doesn't have the money, and where would she go?
1: And then it becomes, and then it becomes like a codependent abuse cycle. And then it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is like he reacting to like him intuitively knowing that you don't want to be there and that you're using him or is he an abusive asshole and you're reacting to like the abuse or is it are you being emotionally manipulative and then he's react it's like so it's it's just this abuse cycle where no one's happy and it's this fucking rat race and then you know these housewives go to a therapist and they're like I'm going through it and they're like here's some medication just take that yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. and you and you'll be fine back in the day like our our family units were meant to be resting places from the outside world you come home you kick off your shoes and you get to decompress with your family but then when your family unit is like a prison itself then you never rest and then these angry people come out into the world and then they fucking snap on people and kill people, you know? Or- I
0: love that you speak about ancestral healing. So what is it? Is it looking into our soul and digging deeper to understand where our wounds come from and how can we stand up for ourselves so we can attract different kinds of circumstances and people? What is it?
1: So there's a lot of layers to ancestral healing right a lot of it is critical thinking taking time to like to think about who our ancestors were where our bloodlines come from, sometimes we come from people that weren't so great. So then you look, what made them not so great? Oh shit, was it this oppressive thing that happened in 1842 that caused my grandpa to be an asshole? Critical thinking and tracing your bloodlines, like literally to like who you are, who the people are that you come from, right? And then ancestral healing is also like, do make sure that you eat what your ancestors ate you know, and giving yourself herbs, decolonizing what your go-to is for wellness, you know, is it, you know, I I had to teach my boyfriend, like when he would get sick, he'd go to get an amoxicillin or this, and I'm like, well, think about what your ancestors did, what did, what did they used to take when they got sick, what did they used to do when they would be sad, what did they used to do when they'd be angry, you know? Sometimes we need to take our men out to the ocean and let them scream at the top of their lungs and get it out. Sometimes we need to scream with them. Correcting certain patterns and unhealthy habits within ourselves that we've adopted, you know, and being really real with that. Regenerating the land that you're on in all of the ways. Walking with intention. Angelus Arian is an amazing teacher on my healing website, universalmother.love on the wisdom page. Um, There is a TED talk that she gives that you should watch. And there's her book, The Fourfold Way. Talks about, we need the warrior. We need the teacher. We need the visionary. We need the healer, right? And each person has their own path. They have their own lessons they have their own way of eating their own coping mechanisms they need their own inspirations their own guidance that they need everyone needs information delivered to them differently you know everyone's brain thinks differently and so it's like you know finding out what your role is yeah. what is your role are you a, are you supposed to be a teacher are you supposed to be an artist a visionary a warrior mm-hmm. And if you don't know, you know, the fourfold way, there's even a test that you can take now. And you answer a series of personality questions, basically, and it tells you like what you're kind of, you know, what you identify with the most. It's healing is like understanding that we are part of this ecosystem and we are part of a community. We are part of, uh, of, a, of a larger ecosystem that affects, the elements and animals. And so ancestral healing is doing less and remembering. It's all about remembering, about doing less and listening. Scientists have discovered that our stomach is, our gut is their second brain, that what we eat affects our emotions, that our environment affects our emotional self, right? These are all things that medicine men have been talking about forever. Yeah. you know, that, that mindfulness exercise and mindfulness practices is what schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder. DBT therapy is now one of the most effective forms of therapy worldwide to treat these cases. And these practices are based on Buddhism. Yeah, It's like
0: going back to the beginning. Yesterday, I bumped into this guy I used to go, like I used to meet at the gym, um, and me and him used to be gym freaks at the time, used to go like six, seven days a week, and do you know when someone doesn't change physically, so he still looks the same, but his energy was so vibrant, and I said, you look so good, What, what, what happened to you? He said, I went home to my country for six months while COVID was happening and I got to work on my parents' farm. Here I have an office job, it pays me well, but I never realized how it sucked all my energy. And I feel like a different person. I feel like the past couple of years, I've been drained of my energy and who I I am and what I used to love. And that was a good reminder for me to uh, reconnect with myself And I could totally relate to that, because also during quarantine, because I had a lot of time to spend at home, I was gardening, I also lost my phone, so I'm phone free, and I've never felt more free in my life. I've been enjoying myself, I definitely slowed down, my anxiety levels went down, so I can totally relate to everything that you're saying, and I do think it's important to slow down if we want to heal. And I think that's so important because it's
1: important for people to know it's not their fault. Like their craziness, their anxiety, their depression, their neurosis, whatever is a symptom, right? It's a symptom. It's not who you are. It's a symptom. And it's like, you know, and it's, and we live in an overstimulated society. Of course, we find peace in these moments where we get to rest because it's so needed, you know? That's why people are fighting for land sovereignty and seed sovereignty. Like the fact that there's literally an attack on organic farming right now, they're trying to make it illegal for people to grow their own food. In many places, it is illegal. Why have we become so far from the basics and so far? Because of these systematic oppressions, because land was taken away and people weren't able to just grow and be at peace. Yeah. And so here we are, and we've had enough. Like, it's sad, it is sad. And I hope,
0: I actually am very hopeful for the future. I think- Me too, that, me yeah, too. I think that you, maybe the younger generation that is willing to stand up for themselves and had enough of what we've seen so far, I think will make a lot of changes. I'm going to bring mm-hmm. you back to, I hope you don't mind me doing that, um, to your accident. I know that mm-hmm. you lost, your leg and your arm Mm -hmm. and i heard you describing yourself as a beautiful woman and i heard you as well speaking about the way you viewed your body in the younger Mm -hmm. years because of how people treated you so how Mm -hmm. did things shift for you and how did the whole experience um change the way you see yourself and your body
1: you know in the very 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 beginning like the first week (laughs) you know it was um i i i don't remember i don't remember the first week of seeing myself really i had blocked out that part of my memory and it's crazy because i've tried to access it so many times like in meditations of like what it felt like when i first saw myself and my mind won't let me go there but my friends and family who were witnesses said that I just screamed, screamed in horror again and again, and I had to be strapped down to the bed. And when I got down to the, the physical therapy floor, it was like first day of physical therapy, and I'm like, yay, I finally get to be active after being bedridden for two months. So they put me in a wheelchair and they go to wheel me to the gym and the gym is a one of the walls is a whole mirror right and it hadn't occurred to anyone that this was going to be the first time I saw myself you know, and so the nurse the nurse was like and just wheeled me out to the mirror and I looked in the mirror and I was much thinner because I had lost, I'd lost like 60 pounds because I was like being fed through a tube you know and so I looked in the mirror and I just looked at her and I just started crying. And it wasn't, beca- it wasn't because I, of like, the thought that went through my brain was like, I'm not who I was anymore. The person is gone forever. It wasn't that I was... It was hard to accept my new body. There was a grieving process that happened when I grieved the death of who I was and what I looked like because I was also much bigger, not much bigger but like I was a little bit bigger of a woman and so like I shrunk too. And so it was like you know for most people I think like oh weight loss fabulous but like it's different to see your face looking like a skeleton and where you look green from malnutrition. And you know that that weight loss is there because of self-destruction. And it's funny because one of the, like everyone kept being like, you know, all my friends that kept visiting me like towards the end of the hospital when I did look like healthier, were like, oh my God, you look great. You've lost so much weight. And I'm like, is that what's
0: important?
1: is everyone's fat phobia so embedded in their brain in this country that they're like, we'll compliment her about being skinny. That'll make her feel better. (laughs) Like, I know you lost your arm, but at least you're skinnier. And so it was so weird because I was getting so much, like even after the hospital, when I, uh, you know, had X, boyfriends that came to visit me and we were intimate they were like you look so great and I'm like
0: like, if you had, or what is this supposed to do to you? I'm like, oh
1: my god, I'm (laughs) like, oh my god, like, luckily, like, I've never, like, um, like, being bigger has never, I've never felt, like, that's something wrong, like, I love bigger-bodied women, like, I, I think bigger bodies are, like, gorgeous, like, I love having a more voluptuous frame, and I'm Latina, and so, like, being Puerto Rican, like, it's celebrated to have, like, voluptuous body like you're seen as like a prize hen you know (laughs) so like it's only when i'm around like you know like very white american straight people do i feel like something wrong I'll, i'll ask like something was wrong you know when i was younger when i first modeled for ricardo tc we did this spread for Givenchy and style magazine and i remember when the photos first came out i was around 250 pounds around that time when those photos came out people were commenting on the conjivanchi Givenchy's instagram page that they should be ashamed of themselves for promoting obesity and that like i was basically a death threat To like future generations because like promoting fat models promotes diabetes and unhealthy eating habits and what are we doing to the children and this is the wrong message to be sending so not only were people like you're ugly and fat but they're like your existence is harmful to society (laughs) but like I mean I like you know at the time I was living with a bunch of my gay friends and like we, like, laughed about it. We were, like, these people are psychotic and, like, this is hilarious because they don't even know, like, actually what a, like, valuable person I am to every community I'm a part of and, like, how healthy I am, actually. Like, I'm, like, I'm super athletic and super healthy. I just have a bigger body. I always have been that way. Like, Even uh, when I was bigger, you know, I was dancing five nights a week, doing yoga every day. Like I always would cook in the house for everyone. That's just how my body is. So because I had to accept myself as a, and I'm also six feet tall. So like I have
0: always been different. So this is just like
1: another version of different.
0: I actually can understand that. And I've seen people at the gym exercising six seven days a week and they're bigger people they're just bigger yeah it's just that they're healthy and that doesn't mean that they're unhealthy Yeah. yeah yeah and and also
1: like you know some people like go through phases in their life when they're not working out and like and they're not healthy and like sometimes they will be bigger and people go in cycles and phases and I feel like it's okay to let people go in cycles and phases too.
0: What feelings came up when you realized what happened to you and the point you got to where you lost your Did you ever feel, I'm sorry if this is triggering, but did you ever ever feel
1: guilt or? The doctors were like, you have lost your arm and we're gonna have to amputate my leg. I was told that I was screaming and crying hysterically and screaming again and again like on my arm on my arm and like just over time before I could look at it I would just think about it I would think about what it looked like and I tried to in therapy they call this planning ahead or coping ahead and so I planned ahead of like what that would look like and how I was and I kind of painted this visualization of like what people would think and like I let all the thoughts come in I let all the thoughts come in are people gonna find me attractive again am I ever gonna be able to have a boyfriend am I gonna feel ever feel beautiful again am I going to am I gonna have to have people do everything for me am I gonna be an invalid am I gonna be be am I going to have nightmares from this am I going to be in pain all the time there's all the questions right Mm -hmm. and so I just you know this is where my strong spirit comes in and it's like it's hard because it's like I you know this is where like my faith comes in and the only thing that I can explain like the only way that I can articulate it is that like when I had what happened to me happen to me, all of my friends who were healers, and brujas, and aborishas and medicine women, and mothers, and people who pray, they all came together for me. And I had people who had little altars set up for me, I had so many people fighting for me. I had no choice but to heal like and I feel like that just really it like like I hate the term like the power of prayer like the power of spirit or the power of whatever the fuck you want to call it but the power of sisterhood the power of community whatever but it's like I was able to accept myself because of like the love that I was surrounded with like I was so I was so lucky and I know people aren't lucky like this I know some people really are out here thinking they have no one and like I really was surrounded and held by people and that's why I started Universal Mother that's why I started Universal Mother because I was like the answer is not just one therapist or one mother or one father, or one boyfriend, or one girlfriend. It's like, we need a community always. Mm-hmm. And we've become so disconnected from community and from, and from tribe and from, you know, like, support.
0: You mentioned this at the beginning, you said, at that time, I thought that no one cared. And I think it's so important to say that sometimes when we're going through this stuff, we think that no one cares because maybe our family doesn't care or our neighbors don't care or the whole country doesn't care, but they are people who care. Sometimes they're not who you think should be caring about you. Sometimes they're people you don't know. And that's like so important if you're feeling mm-hmm. this way to reach out to people, just put it out and someone will show up
1: because you're always
0: meant to have someone to help you.
1: And that's why I started Universal Mother because like I have so many people that come to me and they're at their wit's end and they're like how I was like they want to die. They've given up and they're like no one cares about me. No one cares. Mm -hmm. And I'm like that's not true because I fucking care and not only do I care but these 19 Mm -hmm. women that I have on my team care and they are connected to collectives and covens and and tribes and iles with hundreds of people and they all fucking care and i am connected to a global web of people who not only care but they have the fire in them that are at this time in real time doing the work to restructure these systems that are oppressing us you know that's one of my jobs as a healer is to inspire people to fucking care because it's like i can heal people all day right but then I have to plop them back into these oppressive environments Mm -hmm. and so it's like I have to leave them not just with healing but with an inspired heart and soul to keep caring after they leave me. If you're going through it visit my site universalmother.love and you know explore it like you would a tarot deck like when you shuffle and you pull a card it's just kind of you know, explore the tabs and there's so much wisdom on there and there's so many healers on there that are always offering free groups and, um, you know.
0: Thank you so very much for coming on today and sharing with me all the things that you've shared and I want you to know even though we just met today and even if we didn't meet today just from watching that video I just felt so connected to you and I have so much love and appreciation for who you are and for all the things that you do and really appreciate you coming on today.
1: Thank you, I feel it and you're so special too. Like when you reached out, I, my intuition was like, oh, this person's special, you say yeah, yes. <laughs> Thank
0: you so much. Guys, I will yeah. link to maybe your social media, I'll find you on social media. Yes, yes. Until you yes. have a YouTube channel. <laughs> I'll leave that link in the description box below. Please leave us comments. Let us know if you can resonate with any of this stuff. Um, Sometimes when I watch videos, there's one thing that sticks with me. So if there's anything that stuck with you from today's video, please let us know what is it. And hi, who's this?
1: This is Tia Rufito.
0: (laughs) Who? Tia Rufito. Hi, sir.